Achremot Kedoshim, the ethic of holiness. Kedoshim contains the two great love commands of the Torah. The first, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Rabbi Akiva called this the great principle of the Torah. The second is no less challenging. The stranger living among you must be treated as your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. These are extraordinary commands. Many civilizations contain variants of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Or in the negative form attributed to Hillel, sometimes called the silver rule, what is hateful to you, don't do to your neighbour. That's the whole Torah, the rest is commentary, go and learn. But these are rules of reciprocity, not love. We observe them because bad things will happen to us if we don't. They're the basic ground rules of life in a group. Love is something altogether different and more demanding. That makes these two commands a revolution in the moral life. Judaism was the first civilization to put love at the heart of morality. As Harry Redner puts it in Ethical Life, morality is the ethic of love. The initial and most basic principle of morality is clearly stated in the Torah, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he adds the biblical love of one's neighbor is a very special form of love, a unique development of the Judaic religion and unlike any to be encountered outside it. Much has been written about these commands. Who exactly is meant by your neighbour? Who is the stranger? What is it to love someone else as yourself? But here I want to ask some, some different questions, or specifically this. Why is it here in Kedoshim, in a chapter dedicated to the concept of holiness, that the command appears? Nowhere else in all Tanakh are we commanded to love our neighbour. And only in one other place, in Devarim, are we commanded to love the stranger. Of course, the sages famously said that the Torah commands us 36 times to love the stranger, but that's not quite accurate. 34 of those commands have to do with not oppressing or afflicting the stranger and making sure that he or she has the same legal rights as the native-born. Now, these are commands of justice, not love. And why does the command to love your neighbour as yourself appear in a chapter containing such laws as don't mate different kinds of animals, don't plant your field with two kinds of seed, don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material? Those are chukim, decrees, usually thought of as commands that have no reason, at any rate none that we can understand. What have they to do with the self-evidently moral commands of the love of neighbour and stranger? Is the chapter simply an assemblage of disconnected commands, or is there a single unifying strand to it? The answer goes deep. Almost every ethical system ever devised has sought to reduce the moral life to a single principle or perspective. Some connected to reason, others to emotion, yet others to consequences, do whatever creates the greatest happiness for the greatest number, Judaism is different. It's complex and subtle. It contains not one perspective, but three. There is the prophetic understanding of morality, the priestly perspective, and the wisdom point of view. Prophetic morality looks at the quality of relationships within a society. 
between us and God and between us and our fellow humans. Here are some of the key texts that define the prophetic morality. God says about Abraham, I've chosen him so that he will direct his children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Tzedakah and Mishpat. God tells Hosea, in the lines Jewish men say every weekday, Verastichli, I betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, kindness and compassion. Tzedekum, Mishpat, Chesed, Verachamim. He tells Jeremiah, I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, chesed, justice, mishpat, and tzedakah, righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Those are the key prophetic words. Righteousness, justice, kindness, compassion. But not love. When the prophets talk about love, it's about God's love for Israel and the love we should show God. With only three exceptions, they don't speak about love in a moral context, that is, vis-a-vis our relationships with other human beings. The exceptions are Amos's remark, hate evil, love good. Micah's famous statement, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And Zechariah's, therefore, love, truth, and peace. But note that all three are about loving abstractions. Good, mercy, truth. They're not about loving people. The prophetic voice is about how people conduct themselves in society. Are they faithful to God and to one another? Are they acting honestly, justly and with due concern for the vulnerable in society? Do the political and religious leaders have integrity? Does society have the high morale that comes from people feeling that it treats its citizens well? and call forth the best in them. A moral society will succeed, an immoral or amoral one will fail. That is the key prophetic insight. The prophets didn't make the demand that people love one another. That was beyond their remit. Society requires justice, not love. The wisdom voice in Torah and Tanakh looks at character and consequence. If you live virtuously, then by and large things will go well for you. good example is Psalm 1. The person occupied with terror will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do prospers. That is the wisdom voice. Those who do well, farewell. They find happiness, ashray. Good people love God, family, friends and virtue. But the wisdom literature does not speak of loving your neighbour or the stranger. The moral vision of the priest that makes him different from the prophet and the sage lies in the key word kadosh. Someone or something that is holy is set apart, distinctive, different. The priests were set apart from the rest of the nation. They had no share in the land. They didn't work as laborers in the field. Their sphere was the tabernacle or the temple. They lived at the epicenter of the divine presence. As God's ministers, they had to keep themselves pure and avoid any form of defilement. They were holy. Until now in the Torah, holiness has been seen as a special attribute of the priest. But there was a hint at the giving of the Torah that it concerned not just 
the children of Aaron, but the people as a whole. Says God, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, not just the tribe of Levi and the children of Aaron. And our chapter now spells this out for the first time. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This tells us that the ethic of holiness applies not just to priests, but to the entire nation. It too is to be distinctive, set apart, held to a higher standard. Now, what in practice does this mean? A decisive clue is provided by another key word that is used throughout Tanakh specifically in relation to the Kohen, namely the verb lahavdil, to divide, to set apart, to separate, to distinguish. That's what a priest does. His task is to distinguish between the sacred and the secular, to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. This is what God does for his people, you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, your God am holy, and I have distinguished you, vavdilatchem, from other people to be mine. And incidentally, it's what all of us do on Motzei Shabbat, when we make havdalah. There is one place, one other place, in which lahavdil is a key word, namely the story of creation in Genesis 1, where it occurs five times. God distinguishes, separates light and dark, day and night, upper and lower waters. For three days he demarcates different domains and then for the next three days he places in each its appropriate objects or life forms. God fashions order out of the tohu vavohu of chaos. His last act of creation is to make man after his own image and likeness. This was clearly an act of love. Beloved is man, said Rabbi Akiva, because he was created in God's image. Genesis 1 defines the priestly moral imagination. Unlike the prophet, the priest is not looking at society. Unlike the wisdom figure, he's not looking for happiness. He is looking at creation as the work of God. He knows that everything has its place, sacred and profane, permitted and forbidden. It's his task to make these distinctions and teach them to others. He knows that different life forms have their own niche in the environment. That's why the ethic of holiness of Kadoshim includes rules like don't mate with different kinds of animals, don't plant with different kinds of seeds, don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Distinguish, separate. Everything has its own place. Now, above all, the ethic of holiness tells us that every human being is made in the image of likeness of God. God made each of us in love. Therefore, if we seek to imitate God, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy, we too must love humanity. And not in the abstract, but in the concrete form of the neighbour and the stranger. The ethic of holiness is based on the vision of creation as God's work of love. This vision sees all human beings, ourselves, our neighbour and the stranger, as in the image of God, and that is why we are to love our neighbour 
and the stranger as ourself. I believe there's something unique and contemporary about the ethic of holiness. It tells us that morality and ecology are closely related. They're both about creation, about the world as God's work and humanity as God's image. The integrity of humanity and the natural environment go together. The natural universe and humanity were both created by God and we are charged to protect the first and love the second. Shabbat Shalom.